We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Hey everyone, it's a great day to be outdoors. Welcome back to the She Goes Outdoors podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tana, and this week I'm doing a classic Kansas takeover. So Rachel and Julia are away, and although we'll miss them, I'm very excited for the opportunity to take you along with me on a bit of a field trip. Like, think Miss Frizzle, we're going in, and we're going to get a lot of really cool details. I'm so excited for you guys. So in Kansas, there are five nature centers that are run either directly by KDWP, Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, or in partnership between the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and another organization, sometimes a handful of organizations. These nature centers are designed to provide opportunities for the public to discover and learn more about Kansas natural systems and the flora and fauna that inhabit them. They are such cool, creative spaces for people to connect with nature um, in ways that are fun and engaging through displays and guided interpretive tours. There is so much that these nature centers offer, um, both from an educational component and as a connection and a hub for the community. So to give us a glimpse into one of the most visited nature centers in the state, We'll be joined today by Emily Davis, Certified Interpretive Guide and Director of Educational Programs at the Great Plains Nature Center in Wichita, Kansas. Welcome, Emily. Hey, thanks so much, Shanna, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. You are so accomplished at such a young age, and <laughs> um, this is just going to be a blast because the Great Plains Nature Center is incredible. All of our nature centers are incredible, I should say, but I, you guys are just doing awesome stuff, so I'm really excited to chat with you today. But before we dive into all things GPNC, or Great Plains Nature Center, we got to learn a little bit more about you, Emily. Where'd you grow up? What got you interested in the outdoors? What did your school and career pathway look like? Give me all the juicy details. Oh, yeah. So I'm actually originally from Arkansas, born and raised there, close to Little Rock. Um, and so that's where I had been pretty much my entire life. I've never lived anywhere else, like grew up in the same house, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but in Arkansas, you know, we're known as the natural state. So I got to be in nature a lot. That's what I grew up doing was going camping every single summer and throughout the year. Um, especially my grandpa was really, really instrumental in getting me in the outdoors and getting me um, going fishing. So that was kind of my first like big outdoor love was just going fishing. And I was definitely one of those kids that was like out in the backyard too, just looking at toads and just exploring all of the weird little things of nature. Um, so it's something that from just a really young age where I just loved being outside and interacting with wildlife and looking at all of the really cool plants and you know, kind of being the weird one that's like staring at the ground while everyone else is like looking up and looking around and stuff. But I wanted to see what was going on kind of on a smaller level. Um, so I grew up there. I actually came to Kansas in 2016 whenever I met my now husband. But um, to get here, kind of the first thing I did was look for jobs with Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, actually. So I started out um, on our stream crew after getting a degree in biology. Uh, at Henderson State in Arkansas and studying a lot of herpetology, ichthyology, so herpetology being the study of reptiles and amphibians, 
ichthyology being the study of fish. So those were kind of my my favorite things were the kind of slimy guys, you know, the, the weird guys out there. Um, and so getting to have a job with wildlife and parks straight off the bat whenever I graduated was really amazing for jumpstarting my experience in this field. Um, we have awesome stream crew leaders like Ryan Waters, who has just been in the field for what, 20 plus years, a really long time, uh, who kind of got to mentor me in that. And so looking for all of the little fish, the little minnows and studying those guys that don't get as much attention as game fish was really instrumental for me. So it was really hard field work. Um, and I got to come back the next year and do more field work um, on our terrestrial crew looking for broadhead skinks. Um, but what I really, really enjoyed wasn't necessarily as much of the field work part, although that was incredibly valuable and so amazing. But at the end of all of the field work, uh, we got to have field trips of kids come to us on the Ninnesky River, and we got to show them all of the stream survey techniques that we had been doing all summer. And that's where I was really like, oh, this is what I enjoy doing, because I honestly after I got my biology degree, had no clue what I wanted to do. I just knew what animals I really liked. Um, and so that was huge for me finally finding like, okay, so I have all of these things that I really love, but what makes it even better is sharing that with other people and teaching kids of really all ages, all the way up to, you know, adults and seniors about the amazing nature that we have here in the United States and specifically Kansas. So um, I that really just started with a lot of the field work that I got to do traveling around Kansas and seeing all of its amazing creatures and wildlife and plants and how unique it really is. Um, so I worked at a couple of nature centers after that. I've gotten to work at Exploration Place doing education there, um, the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit in Riverside Park and taking care of those animals. And then started volunteering at the Great Plains Nature Center here in 2018. And a uh, 9.99 position. So one of our part-time positions with the state actually opened up. And then I just slowly been working my way up here and getting to just help thousands of people experience the outdoors in a new way. So kind of our mission is to inspire stewardship of the natural world through exceptional experiences to benefit future generations. And so getting to come to a place where I get to do that every day has just been a huge blessing, like knowing I'm going to work every day, making a difference and making people happy and giving them a new experience is just a really, really cool thing to get paid to do. You know, that's kind of nuts, like not necessarily paid a lot, but it's, it's just wonderful. Like it's a really, really fulfilling way to live. Ah, that's just magical. You're giving me goosebumps, Emily. I'm so <laughs> excited that you enjoy your role. Clearly, you are so uniquely qualified for it. And listeners, if Emily's voice sounds a little bit familiar to you, if you've been a participant in Kansas BOW in the past, you might have got stream ecology instruction from Emily. So obviously, Emily has a ton of technical knowledge and background, passion and enthusiasm for the outdoors. But clearly, she's a gifted communicator as well and passionate about connecting the bridge between kind of that science and the general public and getting people engaged. So if Emily sounds familiar to you, it's because you may have met her at a past BOW in Kansas. And if you would like to meet her in a future BOW, we'll talk more about the class that Emily instructs and then um, also upcoming bows in the future. But first, let's talk about the Great Plains Nature Center where Emily calls home away from home, I would say, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. I hear, <laughs> hear a decent bit, you know, 40 hours a week or so is a good, a good amount of time to spend at a place, but it's a, a great way to spend my time. <laughs> good, so good. The, the Great Plains Nature Center really is 
just such a unique location. So we are a urban nature center, like we're in Wichita. And so we're right next to the 96 highway, which is kind of crazy. So you can kind of hear uh, some of the highway noise as you're walking through our park, but we are, I think it's a 240 acre park um, that's here in Wichita. And it's not like one of those parks with all the mowed lawns and stuff, although we have a little bit of that. Uh, we are restored to be wildlife habitat. So um, because of our partnership, we are are on a city park. And I'll talk a little bit more about our partnership in just a second, but it's a Wichita wild habitat park. So it's restored to look like native Kansas. So it has restored wetlands and woodlands and prairies. And we have a creek that's going through our park as well. So um, it's a really unique experience that you can find in the middle of Wichita. So we kind of call it an urban oasis because it's a great place to come and experience nature. And of course we have our nature center exhibits that sit on it too. But what really I think makes us incredibly unique, other than us being an urban nature center, is our partnership. So we are made possible because of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, which is who I work for, City of Wichita, and then our Friends nonprofit organization, so the Friends of the Great Plains Nature Center. So all four of those entities work together to make this place possible and make us free. So we don't have to charge for any of our programs. Um, it's free to come to the Nature Center, and that's all because of all of those agencies working together. I was like, hey, we need a nature center in Wichita. We need a place for people to experience the great outdoors. And we want that to be accessible to the public. We don't want there to be any barriers for people to learn about nature. And so that's what's so just absolutely awesome about this place um, is that we're able to really do a lot, even though we're free and even though we have that nonprofit entity. So um, it's just absolutely amazing. So that's it can also be kind of complicated. Luckily, the partnership's been around, you know, for 20 plus years. So I think we celebrated our 20th anniversary in 2020, actually. Um, so right before COVID hit, we had like a nice celebration for it. Um, but the Nature Center was created in 2000, opened their doors uh, Labor Day weekend in 2000. Um, so with that, the Nature Center has the city park. So that's kind of the city part of it. So um, City of Wichita Parks and Recreation helps maintain that city park. Um, we have Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks that does all of the building maintenance. And so I'm called kind of our director of educational programs, but I'm also our building manager too. And help we help pay for all of the utilities, anything else that comes up. And we have a regional office here at the Nature Center as well. Um, and we helped fund the exhibits initially. And then U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is actually the one that owns the building. Um, so it is technically a federal building, which is really weird because uh, you don't really see that anywhere on the outside. Um, but we are a federal building and they help pay for a lot of our major projects um, that we have. Have here at the Nature Center. And then that Friends of the Great Plains Nature Center is the one that um, has a lot of ability to fundraise to make sure that we are able to keep going. They help pay for a lot of our animal care um, and a lot of our educational programs are actually funded through them as well and a lot of our special events too. And so each entity actually has employees in the building as well. So there's um, one city of Wichita employee who's actually our director, Amanda Alessi. Um, and then we have a representatives for each of the partnerships um, and then just naturalists and, you know, kind of 
uh, business managers, gift shop staff, all of that, that works through the different agencies as well. So it's, it's very, very unique and different to have kind of all of that going on in one building, but it's been working for 20 years and we'll prayerfully continue to work. It seems like it's been working really well and has helped us accomplish a lot of amazing things here in Wichita. Oh, I can definitely see the complexity there, Emily, but I think it's so cool that um, that partnership really affords you all the opportunity to have diverse voices and perspectives contributing to the future of the Great Plains Nature Center and the direction that you all want to move in. So what a great opportunity. And it also just kind of communicates the value of the GPNC from the perspective of the city, even U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, like the groups that are investing into this and because it is an integral part of the area, being an urban park, being kind of a place where people can come together and connect with nature. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely too. And for anyone that's never been here, I'll kind of just like explain a little bit about like what it looks like here. Um, hopefully you come visit us. That would be really awesome if you come visit us because again, we are free. So you might as well, right? Um, but here at the Nature Center, so again, have like the 240 acre park that's outside. Um, but then inside we have all of the exhibits. Um, and so the exhibits, we have like a I think it's 3,500 square feet exhibit hall. Uh, one of my favorite parts is we have like a 2,000 gallon aquarium in the back with like native fish inside of it. Um, and we do have a lot of native animals here as well. So definitely not on like a zoo level or anything like that. Um, but we do have our animal ambassadors um, that are all native animals that we just use for educational programs. And we have, you know, of course our permit and all of that good stuff to help us to have those guys and use them for educational programs. That way we are giving um, students of all ages abilities to see these guys up close in a safe environment and really grow their appreciation of all of these animals that we have here in Kansas. So it's a really cool place for people to come through and explore. And our exhibit hall is called the Coke Habitat Hall. Um, it was initially funded by the Coke Foundation. And it we call it the Habitat Hall because it kind of goes through all of the different habitats that we have in Kansas. So you kind of start walking through the prairie since that's definitely most of what we have in Kansas is prairie and grasslands. Um, and then you start going through this area where it looks at a lot of the animals of the prairie. Then you go through our wetlands because we do just have massively amazing wetlands here in Kansas too that a lot of people tend to not know about. So we celebrate our wetlands and then um, you kind of go through this pond, lake, river area where you see the aquarium and kind of all of the different rivers we have of Kansas and then riparian areas and then kind of ending with woodlands, which is a very small part of Kansas, you know, just about one third of Kansas. Um, but it's a very important part with a lot of unique wildlife um, that you don't really see anywhere else in Kansas. And at the back, one of my favorite places is our Bob Gress Observatory. I have a lot of favorite places in the exhibit hall. I'm not going to lie. It's a really cool place. Um, but the Bob Grass Observatory is so cool. So you just go through these doors and it is, it's just this massive windowed area um, where you can overlook our wetlands that we have in the park. So you see a lot of really amazing, um, especially birds out there, especially during the migratory period that they have in the year. Um, we've seen so many different kinds of waterfowl and herons and all of that kind of stuff back there. And of course, got some bird feeders too. Uh, so you can see a lot of those birds as well. So it's just got really comfy couches where people can just sit for hours if they want to and just be able to enjoy nature even if it's freezing or deadly hot outside they can still enjoy nature in that way too so it's it's a really awesome place to come and visit and explore at 
Mm, I love that. That's probably the Bob Gress area is probably my favorite of the Great Plains Nature Center. I was just kind of thinking of that. I was like, was that a fever dream? Because it's so surreal walking into this like beautiful area and having all this glass and then the water running behind it. And what a great resource too for anyone that might have um I don't know, like maybe adaptability challenges where if they are um you know, challenged a little bit more mobily, or if they just need a setting that's a little bit more controlled when they observe nature, to have that resource available. That's so cool. It's soft, it's plush, it's quiet and contained. Um, Really, really great resource for the community. I love that, Emily. But you said the fish. I mean, between that and the fish, those are kind of your two favorites. Yes, I really do. I mean, again, like I'm a fish girl. I love my fish. (laughs) Um, So that's really cool to just like, sometimes if I just need a brain break, I'll just like go sit in there and stare at the fish. And I'm just like, oh, these are so cool. Like, I just love watching them for hours, especially uh, every two weeks is kind of like when we dump new minnows in for all of our fish to eat, because we have long nose scar, short nose scar. We have largemouth bass, a um, couple kinds of sunfish, and then a giant channel catfish that's in there. And so when you dump the minnows in, it's just feeding frenzy. And it's so fun to watch um, them all kind of running around all over, well, running, swimming around all over the place, I guess. Uh, but that's a really cool place to just kind of sit and chill out and um, see parts of nature you don't normally get to see because it's hard to see them underneath the lake, obviously. So getting to sit back there and see the way that they interact with each other and move around is really, really cool. Mm, that's a great, great brain break. And I love that term. And um, one of the really cool things too about that habitat hall is you can walk through that hall and then, you know, assuming the weather's cooperative, you can actually go out and walk around the campus like you were describing and see so many of those habitats. Um, actually like in real life and so you can put that knowledge that you learn through walking through the habitat hall stopping and looking at the displays and reading any of the descriptions and then go out and see that in action I think that's such a cool application yeah it, it really is and one thing another thing I love about my park I have lots of I really will I'm just going to keep saying I love everything um, but it's all paved and so it's accessible to so many groups of people. So we do get a lot of groups um, that are handicapped or disabled in some way that are able to still come out and enjoy nature because we do have some places where you can like go off trail and explore nature in that way too. Um, But a lot of it is really accessible to the public and there's not those barriers um, to people who normally can't explore the outdoors because of limitations they may have physically. You don't really have to get that here because we have over two miles of paved trail in our park. Um, So that's really amazing too, especially whenever we're going out and doing field trips and stuff and all of these little kids are still able to see everything even from the sidewalk and um, any disabled groups we have come out here can do the same thing. So that's that's really awesome as well about our parks. They can still experience all of those different habitats in this small place um, without having to worry about being physically limited in their exploration. So that's that's really cool. And it seems like the wildlife really love that park um, just as much as the people that are walking through there as well. You guys have an incredible population of deer, all sorts of wildlife. But I do have to say, and Emily, this is um, every She Goes Outdoors episode, one of our hosts jumps on a soapbox. So this is my time to shine. Um, Usually it's me and Rachel. Shout out, Rachel. But (laughs) she's not here, so I got to fill in. Um, Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful wildlife in the park. And you have the opportunity to observe those animals up close. 
listeners, I urge you, and I think Emily will back me up on this, be respectful of wildlife, be safe in your interactions with wildlife. If you do visit the nature center or really just any nature park or something similar, do not feed the wildlife. It puts the wildlife at risk. It could potentially put you at risk. It's best to just observe from a safe distance, be respectful, and let those systems kind of exist as they naturally would without intervening. Emily, that's my soapbox. Anything to add to that? Oh, yes, definitely. So we've actually recently put up new signs in the park that prohibit feeding of deer specifically. Uh, We have a lot of people that enjoy leaving corn in the park. And so not only does it like just look great, it's not not natural, like it shouldn't naturally be out there in the habitat, especially here where we don't have any corn growing, you know, in our park or anything like that. Um, But what's happened is deer are becoming more and more used to humans, which sounds fun to have like deer walking up to you. But during the rut season, when males are incredibly territorial, aggressive, that can be so dangerous. Um, Like you don't want deer coming up to you because they are, they're really big creatures. And especially ones that have, you know, antlers, the males, like, that that can really really do some damage not only to the deer but humans like it's not safe for either party um and there you know is always the potential for poaching as well whenever deer are that comfortable getting close to people so we do we really urge people please do not feed the wildlife in the park this park is full of food for the animals there's plenty of things for them to eat inside of our park that's why we do have so many deer that are living in our park is because of all of the resources that are naturally out there so we don't need them to be reliant on humans we want them to be able to survive out in the wild on their own without that dependency because it does create the ability for there to be a lot of potentially dangerous interactions between wildlife and humans. And I think a lot of wildlife diseases too can spread a lot more whenever there's like a hub that they're continually going to for food. So there's just so many different reasons where we just are like, please, please do not feed the wildlife. We would really, really appreciate it. Yep. An important point. And we want to make sure to protect those resources to protect your staff and also anybody coming there. So I'm glad we could talk about that. But we've kind of got like the general overview of the Great Plains Nature Center, how it's laid out. I think at this point, if you're not enticed to go visit, um, I don't know what's wrong with you, honestly. I mean, the Great Plains Nature Center is incredible, but just teasing. There's nothing wrong with you, but I think you guys are really going to lean into this. Emily, I want to hear a little bit more about your role as the Director of Educational Programs at GPNC. Tell us more about your duties and what the average day looks like, if an average day there even exists. (laughs) It really is different day to day. Um, So again, Director of Educational Programs. So I'm kind of in charge with collaboration with um, our leadership staff here at the Nature Center, um, looking at what, how are we fulfilling our mission with our educational program? So again, I kind of touched on that earlier. We're really wanting to inspire stewardship through exceptional experiences. And so our programs are a primary way to do that. Um, And so a lot of what I do is help train our naturalists um, and Luckily, right now, we have an amazing staff of naturalists who are really passionate about our mission. So it makes my job a lot easier, to be totally honest, um, because we just have really talented, amazing people with a a wide depth of knowledge. Um, But I help supervise them in the aspect of programs because, again, they kind of all come from different entities. So the supervision here is a little strange, too. Um, But really just kind of helping make sure that our mission is moving forward in every, every educational program that we do. Um, So we have actually standardized a lot of our programs. Um, So rewriting a lot of those delivery outlines and helping guide our naturalists through that is part of what I do. I also help keep track of um, 
really just making sure we're keeping track of all of the data that comes from our programs as well, because a lot of our partners like to know, you know, what we're doing. So I help keep track of a lot of that. I do still do a lot of the programs too, because I, I am a naturalist at heart and I really enjoy being able to interact with the public in that way. But um, I do try to help set the standard for what our programs look like, what our interactions with the public look like on programs, and also how we treat our animals on programs too. And so that is all really like a team effort. Like a lot of my job really is a team effort. And there's a lot of collaboration between leadership and staff, all of our naturalists that goes into that. So it's a it's really unique in that way. Like, like it's not like I'm calling the shots on all of our educational programs because it's it's really a team effort and we have so much staff that has just really valuable input and experience that goes into these educational programs but they are all centered around our mission and celebrating um, Great Plains wildlife and um, nature and plants that we have here in Kansas um, but the other kind of part of my job alongside you know directing our educational programs is just managing this building as well which is kind of weird kind of having those two very very different jobs kind of lumped into one. Um, but our building is a huge part of making this place successful and it helps us have interactions with the public that maybe aren't as direct as, you know, someone coming here on like a field trip or outreach program, but maintaining the building so that it's really enjoyable for all of our visitors who come here um, wanting to learn more about nature is really valuable too. But um, definitely the field trips and the outreach programs um, is kind of where I, I really enjoy spending a lot of time. So those, those are kind of our main two options for programs here at the Nature Center. So field trips are, of course, people coming out to the Nature Center, um, generally on our standardized field trips. And what I mean by that is um, we've actually standardized them to next generation science standards, um, especially for K through fifth grade. Um, then we have some other experiences for like middle school and high school and uh, that's typically what we get here coming for field trips at the Nature Center. So people will come here, they can explore the Coke Habitat Hall, but we really want to try to keep them outside as much as possible. So taking them out on hikes, um, doing activities outdoors, playing games, whatever it is to help them experience nature in a new way. And then usually doing animal programs as well with our awesome animal ambassadors that we have here. Uh, so that's kind of one part of it where we have people actually coming out here. And ideally, that's what we would prefer because they, we want them to be out in nature. But for some schools and organizations like senior centers, you know, public libraries, uh, some recreation centers, that's not always possible. So that's when we have our outreach program uh, options. So where we actually go to them on location, and those are typically around our animal ambassadors. So we'll bring an animal ambassador with us, really celebrate that animal, the habitats that they live in, and just teach people a lot more about Kansas so that hopefully they appreciate it want to learn more about it, and then learn to love and conserve uh, the awesome nature we have here. Mm, that's so important. And I remember being in school, and I think actually it was um, Pat at the Milford Nature Center brought in her raptors and stuff. The impact of those programs is so, so important. And I, I don't know, I keep just saying, oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. But it is. What you do is so cool, Emily. And it sounds like you wear a ton of, ton of hats and have to juggle a lot. But I know you're doing it really well. And obviously, everything with the Great Plains Nature Center and the success you've all had uh, reflects that. So among the many hats you wear and the titles that you hold, you are also a certified interpretive guide. Or if we look on the website, it says um, Emily Davis CIG is how that's interpreted. Tell us a little bit more about what that means and what the process was like to get certified as an interpretive guide. 
Yeah. So here in kind of the field of uh, naturalists or educators at zoos or even places like Cowtown, so like historical places where there's people who are teaching about whatever resources around them, um, that's all kind of underneath the field of what we call interpretation. Um, so there is a professional organization called the National Association of Interpretation. And basically, why we're called interpreters and why it's called the field of interpretation is we are interpreting the resources of our site to the public. So we're trying to help people understand um, either, you know, natural resources, historical resources, whatever it is. Um, we're trying to help people understand that. So that's why we're called interpreters, even though it sounds like a little weird and that's not usually what people picture whenever they hear interpreter. Uh, that's actually what our profession is referred to kind of just broadly. And so a CIG is a certified interpretive guide. So that is a professional certification through the National Association of Interpretation or NAI um, that you get. So it I got mine, I think, oh my goodness, it's been like four years, I think. Uh, so I'm actually needing to like redo it. <laughs> so, uh, but the first time that you get your CIG, it's like a week long training where you're going into these interpretive techniques. So there are like, there's a wealth of literature and knowledge for how to interpret your resources to the public. And so you learn a lot about that over a week long course at the end of it. Um, that's kind of tested. So you have like a test where you're doing a presentation and you're practicing all of these interpretive techniques. And then at the end of it, if you do well, you get to get your certified interpretive guide or your CIG status. And so basically what it means is that we've been trained in interpretive techniques so that we're hopefully good at interacting with the public, good at relating to the public and not just being what they call a sage on a stage, which is when you're just like really talking at someone um, and you just have all of this wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Really what we want as certified interpretive guides is to be able to tell a story and relate to people and get them invested in our resource. So we're wanting to make things just really personal and connect them to our resource. So a lot of it really has to do with, with storytelling and excitement and passion and not just being someone like kind of lecturing on a stage. So that's a lot of what that CIG um, certification is about. Um, and it's, it's a really, really great experience. I learned so much from being able to go through that certification. And uh, there are some similar organizations, but that really is the, the biggest one that we have. Um, and we do have conferences every year. So Wichita actually hosted the regional conference, I think it was in 2019. Um, so it's really cool to just connect to with a lot of people who do similar things to you. Lots of naturalists from around the region or around the nation to uh, the national one is coming up in my hometown uh, at the end of this year. So I'm really excited for that one. But um, it's it's a very, very valuable professional certification that just helps us do our job better at the end of the day and relate to people more. And was that an in-person certification process or was that online through coursework? Was it a combination of the two? Um, mine was in person. I think since COVID, they kind of changed things. And I think there are some online options, but really it's it's definitely most valuable whenever it's in person because ideally that's how you're talking to people too. So learning about it in person it was really helpful for me. Yeah, listeners, really encourage you to check that out. It's a super useful skill set, obviously a really great training as well. So if that's something you're interested, be sure to go visit those resources and learn more. Uh, we can always get you Emily's contact information as well if you'd like to talk to her more about her experience, and she can certainly point you in the right direction too. But to learn a little bit more, Emily, about how you're putting all those awesome interpretive skills to use, 
let's talk about some of the programs at the Great Plains Nature Center. So what are examples of the educational programs that you all regularly offer and maybe even some fun upcoming ones as well? Okay, so um, we do have kind of our standardized programs, like I mentioned earlier. So we have one for each level K through fifth grade. Um, And then middle school and high school is like a little different because they have just so much variety in all of their different science classes. Um, We really kind of take that on a case by case basis with what we offer them um, and really try to work with uh, the teachers um, to see whatever's going to best fit their class. But for K through fifth grade, um, it's all about just having really amazing experiences. It's kind of based around what they're learning in the classroom. Um, So one example would be like a field trip that we have called Plant Teamwork. I believe that one's for second graders. Um, And it's all about going out into nature and learning about pollination and also learning about seed dispersal. So kind of getting to see that um, out on a field trip and see the really cool ways that um, plants have all of these teammates that help them to be able to disperse their seeds and pollinate. So we get to, of course, talk about pollinators, but also like animals who get like burrs on them and go around help spreading seeds that way. Even just wind. Wind is a teammate for a lot of these plants and uh, seeds are able to be dispersed by the wind too. So that's some of our field trips is getting the kids out here. Another one like has to do with worm exploration and making a difference. So you learn about how worms are kind of nature's recyclers, which is really, really cool. Um, we have others that have to do with exploring the senses and how animals either use their senses uh, to be able to interact with the world. And so we use a snake to be able to talk about their sensational senses that they have that gives them a really unique experience experience out in nature. So that's just a couple of our field trips. And then again, one of my favorite outreach programs that we do whenever we're bringing animals into schools or libraries, whatever it is, is um, celebrating life cycles. So we use amphibians. So one of our, you know, our barred tiger salamander or one of our toads or frogs will bring there and just talk about the really unique life cycles that they have out in nature and how their life cycle makes them really susceptible to things like pollution and how we can help protect them um, and make a difference. So really with all of our programs, you know, we want to introduce all this really cool information and give them a cool experience, but then show them how they can make a positive impact on the habitat. So, you know, recognizing that us as humans, we do have negative impacts on our world, but there's lots of really small changes that we can make that make a a big difference when there's a lot of us doing them. So trying to introduce that idea to kids as well on a lot of our programs. Uh, One of the most amazing programs that we have, though, um, is one that became funded through the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. So we got a $50,000 grant to be able to hire a new naturalist and do aquatic education field trips um, and help work on Chisholm Creek here in our park, which we don't really have any water quality data on um, until now because we've had a lot of high schoolers come out. So our, our kind of goal was to Um, invite Wichita public high schoolers out to the nature center and give them a field experience. So we would educate them about um, watersheds, um, introduce that idea to them and the interconnectivity of our watersheds and how that really affects our water quality. You know, kind of what do we as humans do that affects our water? Why is water so important? And then getting to go out in the field, um, test water. So learn about some of those basic water quality um, monitoring techniques. And then also 
also look for benthic macroinvertebrates, which is definitely one of my most favorite things to do in the entire world. I was not a bug girl. Like I didn't study bugs in college. I was like, I am not studying entomology. Like that's gross. Don't want anything to do with it. Stream crew changed that because that's a big part of looking at the water and the, the wildlife in the water is looking at those benthic macroinvertebrates, those really tiny bugs that tell you about the quality of the water. So that's something we also got to do with the high school students. And that was the most enjoyable portion of the field trip to have all of these city kids out there in waders in the middle of the creek, like splashing around, having a great time screaming about bugs. Like it was just such an amazing experience. So that's one of like, I feel like the top programs that we have. Um, they're all amazing, but that's just one where you can really see like, okay, this is, this is a valuable experience that these students are getting. And hopefully this is something that helps them want to have a career um, in this field in the future. So that's just a really, really cool uh, program that we have here. And the grant has now ended, but luckily it enabled us to get a lot of those supplies so that we can continue doing those field trips in the future. And we already have some scheduled for the fall and I'm ready to get back out there with those students and just splash in the water some more. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. You know, in, in the conservation field as a whole, we talk so much about relevancy and the ways that we can make wildlife and conservation and habitat management relevant to people, especially in urban settings where um, maybe they're not seeing and interacting with those species, those habitats as frequently. Um, and that relevancy might look like, hey, this is, you know, we can talk about water quality. We can talk about um, some of these indicator species, but it also might look like tweaking your programs to make them a little bit more out of the box and fun. Um, so maybe how is wildlife and, um, you know, nature knowledge relevant if there were to be a zombie apocalypse or something crazy like that? And you guys are known for having some out of the box programs that really help people relate to nature in a fun and engaging way that isn't just so direct. Can you tell me more about those? Yeah, definitely. So we actually have one that's coming up next week. It's going to be one of our events, which is called Moth Mania. And it is, it just started, uh, we had a really amazing naturalist, Nicole Brown, who kind of started this um, back in the day where we just wanted to celebrate moths because moths are really just kind of underrated creatures uh, that are really, really cool and do a lot. Like they're pollinators too, you know, but they just don't typically get as much credit. Um, but it just started with wanting to celebrate them. So it's National Moth Week. I think I think next week is National Moth Week because that's when we're having the event. Um, and so this is actually a nighttime program. So it's from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, typically the park is closed after uh, sunset, but we're opening it back up and we're going to just be inviting people out into the park to explore some of that nighttime nature. And so we're going to have like glow tape around a lot of our sidewalks so that people can kind of still see as they're walking around. So it's nice and safe. Um, but then they're just going to be kind of looking at all of these interactive stations where they get to learn more about moths and other nighttime creatures um, do some activities. We have moth broth, uh, which I'll be making this week <laughs> to get it started fermenting. Uh, that's like a mixture of, I don't know, it's dark rum and dark beer and then weird old um, bananas and peaches and just like this sugary gross mixture that kind of mimics the sickly sweet flowers that moths really like um, that nectar that they really enjoy and so we'll go out and paint that on a bunch of trees to attract moths to it it works ridiculously well it's kind of insane um, and then we will also have a light attracting station with a uv light to attract as many moths as we can and last year it was 
amazing because I I honestly do not know much about moths compared to some other, you know, more bug oriented people. Um, But it was so cool to see the diversity of moths. I was surprised that just like in a couple hour span, how many different kinds of moths we had coming. And, you know, some are like incredibly tiny. You you can barely see them. Some were really bright colors. There's one that, oh, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like a one of the sphinx moths or a tiger moths or something like that has like bright pink on it and then like bright white and black stripes like they're so cool looking um and then of course you have like the giant ones like polyphemus moths that only survive a couple of days but are these big beautiful creatures like it's just so cool so we just want to celebrate some of those little little critters that people don't typically think about but are still really valuable and have a big impact on a lot of our other um, nocturnal wildlife as well. So that's one of our cool events that we have coming up here soon that's just very, very different, but so, so much fun to come to. And of course, Man. free. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What a cool event. And like, honestly, what an out of the box, like date night idea or something like that. <laughs> seriously grab your friends grab your family grab your you know date whoever and head out to moth mania what a good time and emily i have to say when you were describing the moth broth i was a little bit concerned that that was being served at the event and i was like gonna take a hard pass but it sounds like the perfect concoction for moth so i'm relieved there yeah not not recommended for humans it's at (laughs) all it's it's pretty gross a little chunky too (laughs) no don't drink it please (laughs) Uh, well, you guys are clearly doing incredible things. And I bet at this point, our listeners are wondering how they can support the GPNC. Tell us how they can do that. Oh, so there's uh, quite a few different ways that you can really help support us. Um, one, you know, is just volunteering. Like we're always looking for volunteers that really help support our mission. So our volunteers here help run the front desk and welcome visitors in. Um, they help us at all of our special events and programs that we do. Like we couldn't do it without volunteers. So if you're passionate about nature and enjoy sharing that with people or just enjoy interacting with people, those are really good ways to come and volunteer and help support our mission. Um, animal care is also done by volunteers. So if you're passionate about animals and want to help take care of them. That's something that we use volunteers for. But there are also, you know, some of the more typical ways that help support our mission, which is financially. Um, So you're always welcome to donate to the Nature Center. We greatly appreciate that. We've got, of course, our little donation box in the lobby, but you can also do that online on our website, which is just gpnc.org. But we do have a fundraiser as well. So our fundraiser is Passport to Nature, which we have every April. And that is where, you know, we have a silent auction and we have a live auction. Um, And it's just a way to support nature education. And it's really fun, too. Like we give you food. Um, There's drinks and all that stuff, too. We have a duck poop raffle, which is hilarious. So we literally some of the ducks from the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit, which is one of our partners through the city of Wichita. uh, We get a couple of their ducks out here on a really big tarp in a little enclosure um, and you bid on different spots on a grid and the winners are the ones that get pooped on so (laughs) it's really really fun and unique and we have wine fishing too like it's a really cool event that helps support our nature education I think this year we were able to raise about $50,000 and all of those funds go towards our nature education and taking care of our animal ambassadors so it's a great way to use your money like especially if you love nature like just come support us because we're doing this stuff for free, but that money does have to come from somewhere, you know? Um, And of course, 
we also have Walk with Wildlife. That was our original fundraiser before we actually started Passport to Nature. Walk with Wildlife is the only thing that we charge for event-wise. Um, and that's still, this year, I think we charged $10 a car load. So you can just pile in your car and pay 10 bucks. And we had native animals, over 50 species of native animals around our half mile quail trail. And you just got to come and see like all of these amazing animals up close and learn about them from our naturalists. So um, there's a lot of different ways that you can support the Nature Center, and they're all valuable, whether that's financially or volunteering or just coming and saying that you appreciate what we do. That really goes a long way, too, honestly. Um, but this is an amazing place that's definitely worth investing in uh, because nature education is incredibly important and valuable, and it's something that's often overlooked um, educationally, um, especially in classrooms like science just isn't given a lot of time during the week. A lot of these programs at schools, science is maybe 10 to 20 minutes a week sometimes, uh, depending on the school, definitely. But um, it's something that's really, really valuable for conserving our natural resources. So this is something we want to make sure is getting in front of people and that's still access accessible. So people donating helps us keep that accessible for a lot more people. Mm. Great point. Get out and donate. Support the Great Plains Nature Center or education centers in your area. I know listeners here from all around and um, really there's a broader mission at play here. So um, get out and support that. Emily, thanks so much for those opportunities. I got to know, as far as the future of the Great Plains Nature Center, what's in store? Are there any big like secret upcoming projects or new displays that you're really excited about? Like fill us in. So we are hopefully in the next couple of years going to be doing a capital campaign. So that's very, we're very much in the early stages of it, but ideally in the next five, six years, something like that, that could be a little early. Uh, we're hoping to do all new exhibits. So our exhibits are still original from 2000. Uh, typically exhibit life is about 12 years. So we're a little overdue, but that's something that should be upcoming um, in the not so distant future um, that will be happening. So we're kind of starting to put some effort into that, which is really, really exciting to be kind of on the ground floor of designing new exhibits. I'm, I'm really ready for that and to incorporate a lot of different nature ideas that are more relevant to audiences today. Um, so that's one thing we're excited for. Um, we're redoing our Art on the Trail events. So that's coming up in October. So Art on the Trail has been like a plain air art competition um, that we do out in the park. So it invites artists out into our park to do um, just paintings or whatever kind of art they want to in our park and just be inspired by nature. And then we award prizes for that. Uh, this year, we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, and we're trying to make it more of an adult event because we don't really have a lot of those. But uh, we want it to be another kind of cool date night sort of activity activity that people can come out and do. So that's going to be a really, really fun one that we have coming up to that some of our staff is working really, really hard on. Oh, I love that. I'm just thinking it's like, okay, I need to get my husband on board for this and this and this, put that all <laughs> on the calendar. Um, and Emily, tell us too, where can we go to find out more information about your events? Is there a calendar somewhere that we can look at? Yeah, so our website has all of that information. We do have um, a big calendar of events on there. So the, again, that's a gpnc.org, really easy to find, or just Google Great Plains Nature Center and it'll come up. Um, but also our Facebook page. We're hev heavily, heavily posting things on our Facebook page. So that's a really great place to get all of the updated information on not only our you know special events, but we have a lot of weekly events too that are also run by a lot of our volunteers. So Tuesdays, we have Naturally Crafty, 
Wednesdays, we have Critter Tales where you can come and read and have story time um, for with like your kids. If you have like preschoolers, especially or kindergartners, Thursdays are outdoor play where we do like a fun activity out in the pool in the park. And again, those are all free. People can just come and show up and enjoy learning about nature in a different way too, for especially younger kids. So you can learn about all of that on our Facebook page or on our website. Uh, mamas, are you hearing this? What a great <laughs> free summer resource to take your kids to get them out of the house, get them involved in nature and education. I love that. Uh, so cool. I will definitely be going to that calendar and populating my personal calendar with all of your <laughs> events, Emily. <laughs> You're going to get sick of me real quick. But, um, you know, I have to ask, it sounds like you really, really find joy in your job and it fills your cup. But I'm curious, you know, with any job, there are hurdles and challenges. What's the most challenging aspect you feel like of your job? I think really... It's probably just juggling the different job responsibilities and all of them are really, really valuable. But to be like totally transparent, I I have ADHD, so my brain already kind of ping pongs. Um, But this is a job where there's just constantly stuff going on for all of our employees here. Uh, We just do so many different things and are really trying to be a resource for so many different types of people, which requires you to to be very flexible um, because it takes it takes a lot of time and effort to make sure that you are being accept accessible to a variety of different audiences. So I think that's honestly just the hardest thing is kind of having to have your brain ping pong between all of these different things that are happening between animal care. You know, we had a loop leak in the roof the other day that I was trying to figure out, um, then doing programs and interacting with the public and just making sure that everyone feels really well taken care of and valued while they're here as well. You have to be really, really intentional in doing that. Um, and making sure that people like our guests, but also our, our employees aren't falling by the wayside. Um, so it's challenging, but all of it's incredibly important and valuable. And so even though there's like hard parts of my job, um, they're all really, really worth it and important. And our mission is really, really important. So it's it's never anything that I dread doing because I know that all of it has has a lot of worth to it. So, yeah, just. Part of it's just me. My brain ping pongs already. So ping ponging between different things constantly all day is kind of kind of hard, but it's still really, really good. Uh, well, thanks for your transparency and sharing that <laughs> with us. You know, I think that'll be relatable to a lot of our listeners. Um, I can definitely see where that would be a challenge, but I so appreciate your positive attitude and your ability to be flexible and give yourself some grace. Um, I think that's so cool. Definitely inspiring. <laughs> so let's just transition that. We've Everything we've said so far, I think we've both been like, oh, is that so cool? That's so cool. That's so cool. But tell me, if you had to narrow it down, what do you think would be the favorite part of your job? Oh, geez. Favorite part of my job. I think at the end of the day, it's still interacting with the public, um, being able to do programs. Like I don't get to do programs as often as I used to just with the way that my job responsibilities have have changed since I got um, this position. But anytime that I get to go out and do field trips, whether it's, you know, with preschoolers, kindergarten gardeners, or, you know, I got to go to a senior center a couple of weeks ago and bring our Virginia possum and talk about all of the mammals that we have here in Kansas. That is the best part of my job is still getting to share that passion with other people and see how excited they get. Like you get to show a kid a snake or a 
uh, old lady opossum that, you know, she has all of these stories about them being in her yard whenever she's like, it's just so much fun to hear about di people's different experiences with nature and try to, to bring it to a positive perspective and a positive experience in nature, um, especially for those where it's like a creature like snakes that a lot of people are very fearful of, but then to get to see them touch one for the first time and realize that it's not as scary as they think and that they're really valuable creatures um, in our ecosystems, like that is going to forever be the best part of my job. And I'll never, ever get tired of doing that. It's, it's such a cool, amazing thing to get to experience. Mm. I know for a fact that you have inspired at least one, probably many more of our listeners to follow in your footsteps, Emily, and um, try to get into a similar career path. What advice do you have for folks that are looking to do something similar to what you do? So there's there's really a couple of ways that you can kind of do it. I very much was... I didn't want to get a master's degree. You know, I just have my bachelor's degree and I was determined, like, I'm just going to get as many experiences as I can. So I kind of hopped between a lot of seasonal and part-time jobs to just build up my experience and learn as much as I could. Um, that's not for everyone, but for me, uh, by the grace of God, it really, really paid off and I was able to get to where I was. But um, just be patient because in this field, especially in biology and in environmental education, a lot of it is seasonal work. Like just to be honest, that's the majority of the jobs out there. Even if you look at like the National Park Service, a lot of them are seasonal jobs over the summer. Um, so it is kind of difficult, especially financially, like if you're, you don't have family that's willing to help you out or jobs that are willing to pay a lot, it can be a really, really hard field to get into, but it's amazing to work at jobs that are valuable and that you're passionate about because not everybody gets to go to work every day and enjoy what they do. And so there is just kind of that two, those two sides of it. So for me, I was willing to just say like, Hey, I'm going to work my way up and I'm going to do the grunt work of working a lot of seasonal and part-time positions and pray that it pays off. And luckily it did. Um, for other people, they do go the master's degree route. And that is also very valuable. And I did see that there were, you know, certain people where that that helped them get to where they wanted to go a lot more quickly. But there still is a lot of it that's just like seasonal positions and work. So just being patient and being willing to put in the time, like it it kind of sinks to not get paid as much as a lot of other job um, fields do. But it still is worth it with what we get to do and what we get to teach about nature. So just patience and being willing to kind of put in some of that time because it does pay off. And there are jobs out there that are really, really good and valuable that get to do this kind of work every day. Mm -hmm. Great points, Emily. And I think it's worth acknowledging too, with these seasonal jobs, um, like you said, it requires a lot of flexibility. It's not for everyone. You're not going to get paid a lot. You're moving around. Um, and so it's worth noting that there is a certain level of privilege and being able to have that flexibility in your life and being able to take on those jobs. So, um, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, it's worth acknowledging that that privilege does exist and that unfortunately, sometimes that has selected in the past, um, at least for people of certain demographics or certain financial statuses. So um, definitely looking to break down those barriers, make those opportunities more available. It's worth acknowledging, though, and understanding that um, those barriers are very real and that they do exist. There are definitely jobs out there, though, that are keeping that front of mind and want to see people from very diverse backgrounds um, succeed in science and conservation and education. 
So, um, you know, be sure to look for those. And one of those places might even be the GPNC. So, Emily, do you guys have any position <laughs> openings right now where people can go to apply? We actually do. We have one of our lead naturalist full-time positions that's actually open right now. It will be open until July 17th at the end of the day. Um, so that's definitely one worth applying for if you have a passion for uh, nature and education. Kind of having both of those things come together is really important for this job because a majority of the job is educating the public and interacting with the public, but still having that nature knowledge as well. So that's one that we have open. We also just have a couple of gift shop positions open, actually. <laughs> um, so if you are you enjoy nature, but maybe the education portion isn't really your thing, it's a good just part-time job to have to work in a really, really fun in environment. Um, and in the future, we always have, you know, some of our part-time and seasonal positions that open periodically as well. So we're always posting that on our website and Facebook page. So just keep checking back there. But if you're interested in that lead naturalist position, make sure you apply really, really quick. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. We'll be on the lookout for that. And Emily, of course, mentioned as well that there are lots of volunteer opportunities. So get tuned in, go pay them a visit at the Great Plains Nature Center. Uh, we can get you Emily's contact information, whatever it takes, get out there and get involved. Oh my yeah. gosh, this has been such a good conversation. Um, so I kind of teased this in the beginning. And before we wrap up today, I know our listeners are like, well, this woman is incredible. I have to meet her. And luckily, we have an opportunity for you, y'all. So, um, Emily, obviously a gifted educator, you're so gracious to share your knowledge with us outside of all of you do, all that you do at the Great Plains Nature Center. Um, clearly, like you said, you wear a lot of hats, you juggle a lot, and this is one more thing to add to your plate. We're so glad you do it. Um, Emily is going to be joining us at Fall Bow this year. So that's September 22nd through the 24th at Rock Springs in Junction City. Tell us a little bit more. Just give us a real brief overview of the session that you'll be instructing. Yeah, so I'll be helping with the stream ecology session. So I get to use all of my stream crew knowledge, everything that I learned about a lot of our fish and aquatic ecosystems and celebrate a lot of that. So we'll be getting out there in the creek doing some seining. So using the big nets that we'll be dragging through the creek to find as many fish and crayfish and whatever else we can find, um, identifying a lot of that, learning about their importance um, to our native ecosystems, and then looking at those benthic macroinvertebrates that I love so much that tell us so much about our water quality. Um, so it'll just be a lot of exploring in the creek, getting to splash around, but also learn a lot about really cool creatures that people don't really get to see as often um, and may not appreciate as much because they're some of the smaller guys. You know, it's not our game fish or anything like that that we'll be looking at. At, but it's the things that the game fish eat. So they're still really, really valuable and important in our ecosystem. So we'll just be having a really, really great time exploring some some really cool nature. Mm. And that spring is going to feel so nice and cool in the heat of September. <laughs> it will be welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Emily, we purchased some really awesome photariums for that program. So photariums yeah. are like little glass kind of slotted, almost like mini fish tanks. And so you can put your um, benthic macroinvertebrates in there. You can put small stream fish in there and kind of get like an up close view um, of what those species look like. So Emily's going to be working with those. She's going to mm -hmm. be assisted by the wonderful Susan Steffen, who is in our yes. fisheries division at KDWP. Uh, she's our human dimension specialist. So you guys are going to have an absolute blast with Emily and Susan. Come check them out. If you can't reach us um, this time for fall bow, registration is closed at this time. We're full up. I'm so sorry. Um, consider joining us in the spring. That'll be in April. So we'll keep you guys posted on that. And Emily, thank you for joining us. We're so excited. 
Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Come nerd out with us. And thank you so much for having me today. It's been so fun to just, again, get to talk about the things that I love. That's just amazing experience to have. (laughs) Mm. Well, we sure appreciate you. Before we go, any last minute advice or um, anything you want people to know about the GPNC or about your job? Um, I think I would just say, just come visit us. Um, definitely talk with us. We're always willing, like if you want someone to come explain something to you, we're always willing to answer lots of questions. Give us a call if you have any questions about anything nature related to. Like we just, we want to help people experience nature. So come and chat with us, see what you can learn. And hopefully we can help you have an awesome time in the great outdoors. Emily, you're an inspiration. You are such an incredible asset to your community, to the GPNC, to Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. You are a rock star. I hope people come and pay you a visit. Um, Remember, folks, be sure to check out gpnc.org to learn more and um, pay Emily that visit. If you go and you can find Emily, take a selfie with her or something and share it on our She Goes Outdoors page. Emily's like, oh, no, Tana, what have you done? But we would love to see you guys paying Emily a visit um, or, you know, take a picture with one of the exhibits. We'd love to see it if you make the trip out. Um, That'd be super fun to hear about. Yes. Oh, and I did forget one amazing thing. I keep forgetting about it. So Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks got access to Agents of Discovery, which is amazing mobile app. So that's something we have like a big bison that you can take a picture of in our lobby. Um, And it has a QR code for this app that you can download on your phone. Um, It's got augmented reality capabilities. And so you can just like go on a mission out in nature in our park and answer lots of really cool nature questions and just explore nature in a new way. So that's another thing definitely worth Worth visit uh, doing if you come and visit us. Mm, perfect. And if you can't make it out to the GPNC or you visited before and you're looking for other nature centers in your area, be sure to check out our website at ksoutdoors.com. That's the KDWP website. Uh, go to the education tab and scroll down to science, nature centers, and museums. On there, you'll get a list of all of our nature centers and museums and a brief description, uh, maybe even some photos of some, and you can check those out and kind of plan your trips accordingly. There's also a link to our tourism uh, travelks.com where you can learn more about other museums and nature centers and really make your trip robust and educational and fun and engaging. So don't sleep on those resources. They're out there. All right, Emily. Well, it's been a great conversation. And She Goes Outdoors listeners, if you're hearing this message, it means you have listened to the entire episode. And for that, we, of course, thank you. (laughs) You are, um, you know, always welcome to provide us with feedback. We hope you enjoyed it. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you heard the podcast. And then, of course, help us spread the word as well. We so appreciate you sharing the podcast with friends and family and connecting them to the She Goes Outdoors family. We love having you and we love seeing that group grow. So um, if you have an idea for an episode or if you would like to share your story personally, be sure to reach out to us on Facebook or you can always shoot me an email at Tana, T-A-N-N-A dot Wagner at ks.gov, W-A-G-N-E-R for that. So thanks again to all of our agencies that allow us to do this work and share these messages with you through the She Goes Outdoors podcast. A big shout out to Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, Iowa Department of Natural Resources, and the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. Like I said, visit their websites for more resources ranging from purchasing permits to wildlife ecology, public land maps, statewide events, and so much more. Listeners, until next time, we'll see you outdoors.